Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. And we're broadcasting live from 6th and Peabody and on Outkick.com. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Nope. Paul today. He was giving a presentation earlier on behalf of Rune Artledge and his candidacy for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We've got plenty of headlines to hit across the NFL and every Tuesday. John McClain joins us to do just that. We kick off the hour with John, who has covered the league for 50 years plus, and he's also a Pro Football Hall of Fame selector, along with Paul. John, always great to see you. Hope you're doing well. Well, I got some things that have been going on. Number one, I'm going to Astros tonight. Justin Verlander's pitching against Carlos Correa and the Twins. First time Correa's been back here since he signed with the Twins. They have a big video tribute to him coming, and they have kids from Uvalde and uh, where they had the school shooting tragedy, and they're going to be there too. And then yesterday I was in Dallas to go visit and meet Chuck Cowley the Cowboys outside linebacker who'd been retired 49 years, never been a finalist for the Pro Football Fame. I presented him to the seniors committee, as Paul's done with Rune Harlich today with the coach contributor committee, and Howley made it. And so Howley, though, has a really bad case of Alzheimer's, but his son invited me over to talk to him, see if I could get through to him. So I went. Uh, he lives next door to Roger Staubach, and Chuck looked great, 86 years old. Firm man, shake. He's in a wheelchair, but you know how it is with advanced Alzheimer's. You don't know if you're getting through to him or not. So I talked to him about the Hall of Fame, Tom Landry, Tech Schramm, Staubach. He'd be in Canton. And I did it three different times as uh, his son was showing us around his trophy room. And at the end, I tried again. And so I drove driving back to Houston. His son sent me a text. I can't believe this. He told his caregiver after we left. I'm going to the Hall of Fame. I need a new suit. And then broke down crying. And I was like to get breakdown crying on the way from Dallas to Houston. And then shortly after, I find out that former Texans president, Jamie Roots, had killed himself. So it was a very, very emotional day yesterday for a whole lot of people down here. John, it's certainly a lot going on. Um, I, I guess I can ask you this now that Paul's not here today. How much delight are Astros fans taking in the Yankees' downfall these last couple of months? Well, of course they are. And the problem, they're up about three and a half games on the Yankees for home field advantage. And both of them will give first-round buys under the new format. But the Astros have not been playing great. They haven't been playing bad like the Yankees, but they haven't won a series. As you guys know, they blew two runs to the Braves, three two-run leads in the eighth, and they salvaged the last one. And then before that, they've blown a couple in Chicago. To me, right now, and I love baseball, and I pay really close attention, 
I don't know that if I if the Braves and the Dodgers play right now, or the Braves and the Mets, and then the Braves and the Dodgers, I wouldn't go with Atlanta. Atlanta's got pitching, they got hitting, top to bottom, they good fielding. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Atlanta didn't get a chance to defend its World Series title. And if and for Braves do, I just hope it's against the Astros. Because my buddy Jim Mattress Mac McInvale, our furniture salesman extraordinaire, and uh, the world, the company, country's most renowned gambler, will win seventy-four million dollars if the Astros win the World Series. I believe that would be the biggest payout in history for any one individual. Seventy-four million, incredible. And that's not all at one <laughs> casino, right? He's got to go around. Oh, no. Nobody takes his bets anymore. He has to go all over the country. It was a $10 million bet on the Astros. He went Lake Charles and another place in Louisiana and someplace Vegas for two each. Then he decided to do four more, and he went to a reservation in Iowa, then to MGM in Vegas for his 10. But nobody will take his full bets anymore because he wins too much. Pretty soon he's going to have to go to Malaysia to play some yeah. bet. He's going to run out of places in the U.S. He'll have a spot there, too, I'm sure. Yep. John, um, we don't know for sure where Brady was, although Aaron Wilson uh, reported that uh, he was in the Bahamas with his family. But he returns to the Tampa locker room and the Tampa practice field with a depleted offensive line. That's the bigger story than where Brady was 11 days ago, right? Yeah, and I remember when Ian Rappaport broke that story, I thought it made sense, but I'm still stunned. Nobody got a picture. And he made a joke about the masked singer because he was wearing a mask when he had his picture taken. Now, if you had been taping the masked singer, would you want people to know it? Because that show, which I've never seen, is all about surprise. And there was an Internet report. Not only was he taping it, he picked out a song about seven rings. Now, if that show, I have no idea when it comes out, it's owned and televised by Fox, Brady's uh, next employer that'll pay him $37 million a year. But it still wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't doing that because he'd do everything he could to keep it a secret because the whole idea of that show is to be a secret. It premieres September 21st on Fox. And it's completely wrapped. They've wrapped up the season already, which coincides with when he returned on Monday to Tampa. But the whole, the Chad and I said it wasn't Brady that caused the distraction. To us, it was more Todd Bowles and how he answered questions about this. He was here in Nashville last week for joint practice work with the Titans, where he stood up in front of a podium or in front of the Tampa backdrop with the media and said he wasn't really sure when Brady was going to return. And then Arians went on the the preseason broadcast of week two with the Tampa crew and said, yeah, it's no big deal. He's going to return. He's not retiring. And then Bowles said, in fact, we do know when he's going to return. I just didn't understand the whole, it it, it looked like confusion when there shouldn't have been any with this. We We all thought they botched it. But if indeed he was doing something like that, then they would have to have secrecy across the board. If he's going on a vacation with his family, why couldn't they just say? That's a great point. When Tom came back, he told us he's going to take off two weeks or 10 days and he's going to go on a vacation with his family. He didn't have to say where. And then everybody be, oh, okay. There would never have been all the speculation about illness in his family. His mom had cancer. Uh, 
Rick Stroud from Tampa Times quickly put that to rest. So I'm sure they told him, no, it's not involving family. But if it was a vacation, it would have been so much easier. So I'm not giving up on the Masked Singer till the season is over because everything had happened, they would all have to act like they didn't know. And I'm sure that if he did do that, they gave him a window. And if he did go on vacation, more power to him. But they botched the thing from start to finish. It'd been better to say Tom and his family are going on vacation. He'll right. be back in two weeks. And then if he went to do the mass singer, great. And John, that's the one thing at this point that if it comes out that he's revealed as one of the mass singers in months from now, that I'd go, oh, that's why they were so mysterious about everything. Nothing else would explain it because it's just so easy to say what he's doing and not face any blowback from anyone about it. So it, it's an odd deal. John, Chad, like, think about this. Excuse me, John. Yeah. All the pro teams, not just in the NFL, if they were proactive and they got their version, they wanted to sell to the public out first. All the confusion, the conjecture with social media today, you know, everybody's making a prediction. If you just come out, whether you're telling the truth or not, and say, this is what's happening, then people back away. But teams in most cases just can't seem to want to get on top of it. They'd rather be reactive than proactive. John, the real storyline is the offensive line where in the preseason game, Aaron Stinney goes down, he tears his ACL and his MCL. He's done for the year on injured reserve. Ryan Jensen's already there, injured early in camp. One of the veteran centers that came back because Brady helped him come back and, and wanted him there. They've already had two starters leave either due to retirement or on a, a different roster. With what's in front of him, and I know there have been examples in New England where the offensive line has has suffered an injury and they've had the next man up and Brady has done a good job with this. But that that to me is the the area that can derail the Bucks early in the season when it's going to be a storyline of Brady being 45, Brady taking 11 days off. To me, it's the offensive line and facing that Dallas front right out of the gate where they've got to find some answers in either young pieces or guys that were not starting quality until right now. Tom Brady has never suffered such debilitating losses, whether injuries, free agency, or retirement. And he's going to be taking a lot of three-step drops, and the ball's going out. Fortunately for the Buccaneers, he may be the greatest quarterback in history that when he breaks the huddle and he's walking to the line of scrimmage and he's looking over the defense, and then when he starts calling – the signals, the defense makes changes. He can he can identify them. He's the best it's ever been to me, he and Joe Montana. And comp, his coverages today are so much more complicated than they used to be. I mean, he's basically a genius up there. So I'm guessing a lot of quick drops, quick throws, a lot of short throws, a lot of West Coast offense, slant, slants across the middle, everything designed to get rid of the ball fast. And it would be kind of nickel and diming down the field. He's got Chris Godwin back. He's got Mike Evans has been hurt, but he'll be ready. And he's the most underrated receiver in the NFL to me. And where it would hurt is the blocking for the run. And then the shortest path to Brady on a penetration and passing situations is up the middle. And that's where they're the most vulnerable. I think though, if anybody can overcome those kind of, Colossal losses on the interior, it would be Brady. 
The other storyline with Brady, we'll just stay on the topic from the weekend, is the Bucks were really his fourth choice at best during the, the year where he could have played anywhere. We know he met with Miami based on the NFL investigation. His team growing up were the 49ers. He made, it was out there that he wanted to play for San Francisco and follow his idol in Joe Montana there. Um, then you have Dana White through the Gronk broadcast of UFC 278 where Gronkowski had set Dana White up to tell the story how a deal was done in Vegas for Brady and Gronk to, in tandem, join that organization that Dana White was facilitating through ownership and then apparently Gruden slammed the door on it. Your thoughts when you heard that and the fact that Dana, uh, post, post-fight press conference, he's like, yeah, by the way, he went on to Tampa and won a Super Bowl. You know, another dig at the fact that the Raiders are st- still trying to get there. First of all, when I saw that, I'm thinking, why in the world would Mark Davis allow Dana White to talk to Brady and Gronk? Now, Davis played uh, the fool when yes. he came out. Well, what, Mace? I think it's Mike Florio calling Alfred E. Newman. What me worry? And, of course, he knew about it. They wouldn't have been doing stuff like that without Mark Davis knowing it. Of course, Davis can never act like he knew it because of uh, he saw what happened to Stephen Ross for tampering. And uh, I felt bad for Jimmy Garoppolo because when Brady was on that barbershop show with LeBron James and he was telling his story about the unnamed team and he said he told him, so you're going to stick with that bleeper bleeper? Everybody thought it was the 49ers. And Garoppolo, when, if this story is true, and we don't know if it is, he was talking about Derek Carr. And I think, oh, boy, Jimmy G's more of a bleeper bleeper than Derek Carr is. But still, Gruden's going to get the blame for that. I don't know why they had to disclose it right now. But I'll tell you what, why doesn't Brady get more criticism for all the controversy he generates and all the rules he breaks? You know, this would be, you know, the the – the, the Miami stuff was uh, that broke the rules. This would have broke the rules. And he, you know, he was suspended for baby gate. He was involved in spy gate. And so there's a lot of things that he, he breaks rules, creates controversy, but we give him a pass because he's the greatest quarterback in history. The, the connection between Dana White and Brady, Dana is a massive Patriots fan. Uh, loves the city of Boston, is a huge New England Patriots fan, and he's buddies with Kraft and Brady. And Gronkowski was there with his family doing the broadcast. And Dana White said uh, at the press conference for the, for the UFC event, he didn't really want to tell the story, that Gronk set him up, and he was kind of looking at him like, you really want to go with this? And in the press conference, he apologized to Mark Davis for telling the story. Um, he says, I'm sure Mark is, is ticked off at this right now. And apparently Gronk confirmed it on the air that this was a thing, that the facilitator was Dana White, who owns a massive suite in the new stadium that Mark Davis built and lives in Vegas. And he wanted Brady there and was trying to recruit him there and had him, apparently, except for the fact that Gruden, Chad pointed this out yesterday, had all the power without Brady there in his offense. And if Brady's there, then we know who's running the offense. It's not John Gruden. If he's such a... Patriots fan he should have brokered a deal for him to go back to New England. <laughs> well, it, it's crazy, but it, it's it is one of those where Dana White was presented with something that was already stated and said, "You want to fill in the blanks on this? 
live on air and then went ahead and told the story. Dana, tell the story about what happened. He yeah, why, why, we're not, why we didn't really? go to Vegas. And he, yeah. Uh, okay. It's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Mark Davis says, huh? I don't know what you're talking right. about. It was, it, it was a perfect uh, non, uh, non-verifying quote without saying that it actually did happen. And John, you're right. It is an interesting situation where Tom Brady went from hated New England Patriot villain to Teflon on any story. Because he got, he became himself on Twitter and Instagram. I feel like that's really what changed. He left New England and he showed more personality, and he doesn't get criticized for anything. Also, none of the raw stuff. None. Of, I mean, it, the it, other thing too, guys, is every fan in the NFL would love for Tom Brady to leave New England and play for their team. So I don't, I don't think fans really care about tampering rules in the NFL. I, I just don't think that moves the needle. No, they. Don't. I don't think deflating. Speaking of needles, deflating footballs is all that big of a deal if you polled the average NFL fan. I think they're interested in the storyline, but they really don't care what happens one way or the other to the guy. It's a big story if you hate the Patriots, which most did for a long time. And the fact that he broke all the rules and nothing happened to him. Uh, It happened to Stephen Ross. You know, why wasn't Brady penalized in some fashion for what happened with Ross and he wasn't? And now he takes vacation right in the middle of training camp. If they start slowly, and I, Chad, you mentioned this earlier, you know about you lose, and people will look at other reasons like the in the, the interior offensive line. What if it's better than people think? Yeah. And he's off target, and then people say, "Well, you know, if you hadn't taken that vacation, you might be a little more on target." It's just like. With Aaron Rodgers, if he's off target a little, it's a well, if you'd come in an off-season program to work with these new receivers, and if you played in the game to work with these new receivers, maybe they'd be ready to play more than they are since you didn't do anything. I think there's a lot of pressure personally on Aaron Rodgers to get that second Super Bowl, not for his personal statistics and what he's done. He's one of the all-time greats. But to get that second Super Bowl, there's a lot of pressure on him. John, I don't think there is any pressure on 45-year-old Tom Brady. He could go out there and be – he could be worse than Sean Mannion. He could be 2019 version Tom Brady. He could be the 32nd-ranked quarterback in the NFL and worse than everyone else. And, I mean, I would just look and say, great. He's a 45-year-old guy who ran – he brought a Super Bowl to Tampa after leaving New England all those Super Bowls. It is all icing on the cake. For Brady, I would not criticize him about any time away in training camp. And I, I don't think many people would either because he's done it all at yeah. this point. He's 45. At some point, he's going to start to not be as good, you would think. He's going to hit a wall at some point and he'll walk away. He's not there for the money. He's under pressure and it's pressure self inflicted because he's a perfectionist. He wants to win. He wants everything to be perfect. And I'm guessing, I don't know why he didn't just talk to the media and say, when I retired, I told Giselle, promised her we'd take a vacation in August. And so that's what we did. Uh, if indeed that's true. Here, here's the thing about Brady that I'll never, um, I'll never get over. 2019, the Titans go in the wild card round and win that sloppy game. Derrick Henry takes over, but Logan Ryan intercepts Brady in his final pass in Foxborough and returns it for a touchdown. And I thought at that time, he's done. Like, I I didn't think, if you would have told me in 2021 at the age of 44, he's going to lead the league in pass attempts and touchdown passes amongst all the quarterbacks that are out there, I would have called you crazy. So even if he plays 
like a 45-year-old quarterback this year, I'm still, I would still bet at 46 he could return to the, to the 21 version of himself. That's, that's what he's done by rebounding off of the 2019 season, John. I don't think that if he plays bad, it'll be because of him. Because you don't right. go from having the kind of season he had last year to all of a sudden, you know, falling off a wall. I think if if they don't have a good season, it'll be about the problems that we talked about in the interior line. Could be the running game, could be something with the defense, but I don't think for a second it's going to be Brady's problem because he was too great last year. John McClain with us. Well, Shut the door briefly on the Brady discussion, and when we come back, did you see what Saquon Barkley had to say? Saquon Barkley, who we've barely talked about over the last couple of years, is on a terrible team with the New York Giants, and it's on him. He's got to stay healthy, and he is motivated to do so. We'll, we'll compare his comments from last year at this time to this year's mindset, and it's vastly different. We'll get John's take on that, plus the quarterback battles. Kenny Pickett is... He's playing very well this preseason. Trubisky is also. We'll get John's take on how Tomlin will handle that decision, plus Baker Mayfield is the QB1 in Carolina. A lot to discuss with John McClain next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. John McClain with us on Outkick 360, talking NFL headlines. The New York Giants, with Saquon Barkley in their backfield, they have not won more than six games in a season since he arrived. And it was the 2018 draft when he was uh, selected uh, second overall. And now he's looking to train, change that, that aggression and the mindset. Uh, John, here's the quote on the uh, Second Wind pod- podcast to give them full credit. Last year was more like, dang, the game was taken away from me. I never had a season where I didn't go and play football. Now, it's a kill mindset. Now it's like, you know what? F everybody. I'm ready to go crazy. Your thoughts on Saquon Barkley going into this season with that mindset, which we have not heard from him before, considering the team that they're taking into the 2022 season. Barkley had a great rookie season. He had over 1,300 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns. He had almost... 2,000 yards rushing and receiving and 14 touchdowns. And he last year he played 13 games and he didn't get to 600 yards. He scored like two touchdowns the last two years because he'd blown out his knee. But, you know, that's a great attitude for him to have. You know, people are critical of him, but he was hurt. He plays behind a terrible offensive line. Jury's still out on Daniel Jones as a quarterback. But if I got a running back and he's talking like that, I think that's great. Next thing to do is for him to go out there, stay healthy, and show that he can do the promise he showed as a rookie. The next year he had 1,003 yards, but he hadn't played a full season since his rookie year, and you can't back that up if you don't stay on the field. Quincy Avery becomes a very important name in the NFL, and most people don't know that name. It's Deshaun Watson's personal quarterback coach who now – he goes to work with 
until I believe it's late October before he can rejoin the team for meetings with the Browns before rejoining the actual roster on the field in early December. John, what can you tell us about Quincy Avery and his work with Deshaun Watson? He has been coaching Watson since Watson was in high school. It might even be middle school. He's like a father figure to Watson. When Watson has traveled the world, Avery's gone with him. I'll give you a great example. In 2020, Watson's last season here, he was great that season, but he had an awful game here and lost to the Panthers. So about three hours after the game, we're still working in the press box, and somebody says, hey, look down there. Is that Watson? And there was Watson and Quincy Avery. He comes to his games. They had gone to eat. They come back. They'd gotten a football, and they were going up and down the field with Avery telling Watson what he had done wrong in that game to play so bad. So he trusts Quincy Avery probably more than he trusts anybody who's not in his immediate family. And Avery will have a plan designed for him that, of course, he's gotten from the Browns. Can't have any contact with the Browns till October 10th. And so he'll, he'll, Avery will have somebody catching passes for him as he gets closer to going back. He'll have things designed about pressure and he will put him in circumstances that would be the best possible thing for a quarterback in Watson's predicament. John, speaking of the Browns, they're going to open against Carolina in Charlotte against their former quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was asked about being the starter and opening against Cleveland. And I loved his honest response. He said, yeah, it, it's going to mean a lot. It, it, this game's going to mean a lot to me. I'm not going to sit up here and pretend to be a robot about it. This personally means a lot to me playing the Browns. Um, I, I don't know that I would call that an underrated week one matchup, but when it's Jacoby Brissett versus Baker Mayfield, but really Baker Mayfield versus his old team. What do you think about Mayfield's comments and that game? First of all, Chad Lack, we've known he's going to be the starter since they made the trade. He's healthy. He's playing for a new contract. He's getting motivated by the disrespect he believes he got from the Browns and a lot of members of the media that he went to war with. And if you're going to play Mayfield, I don't think this is the best time to do it. Like, to me, if you're going to play Deshaun Watson, as the Texans will, in Houston, the best time to do it is when he's coming off the suspension and didn't play the year before because common sense just tells you he's got to have some cobwebs. But in Mayfield's case, I love his honesty. I always hate it when a player or a coach, you know how much it means to them, and they, oh, it's just another game. And you roll your eyes because you know it's not true. And I wouldn't surprise me at all since Christian McCaffrey is going to be healthy because he hadn't been healthy a lot the last two years, that he'll be healthy. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's close. And I wouldn't even be surprised if the Panthers didn't pull the upset over Jacoby Brissett. John, it's always odd now when you see a player not get what he wants in a holdout, especially a, a really good player. Roquan Smith didn't like the offers he was getting, decided to hold out for a bit, and then came back and said, you know what, forget about it. I'll rejoin the team and play out this contract. But what did you make of the back and forth with Roquan Smith and the Bears? He's at the wrong position to get a big contract. You know, he's an off-the-ball linebacker. There's not a big demand for them. You know, if you're a wide receiver and you touch the ball or quarterback, uh, those – and plus the fact receivers are such prima donnas today, 
And uh, once one got it, another one got it. Everybody wanted it. But if I guarantee you, if Roquan Smith had got the contract he wanted, we'd be seeing all ball linebackers lining up to try to get it. And I think he did a great job. Hopefully, he'll come back, play well, and get the kind of contract he wants. Guys, I am for every player getting every penny they can get because the owners have got billions. Speaking of big-time contracts, John, Lamar Jackson, um, the rate, there was a report out that the Ravens have offered more to Lamar Jackson than what the Cardinals offered to Kyler Murray, which I'm thinking yeah, that, that's a no-brainer. Lamar Jackson's looking for the guaranteed contract. Lamar Jackson's looking for Deshaun Watson money, not Kyler Murray money. So I, I don't know why that was such a big deal in a headline in Baltimore. Well, that report said that uh, the Watson contract complicated it. Well, anybody <laughs> could see what they're talking about. Right. Kyler Murray got $231 million. Now, people know he's not going to collect all that money. And he got $107 guaranteed. Watson got $230 million guaranteed against skill and injury. That is the complicating factor. Lamar Jackson told somebody, I don't need an agent to tell me I need more than 230. So you know that's what he's asking for. And the Ravens don't want to do it. And the the Chargers and the uh, Bengals certainly don't want them to do it because if they do it, next year Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are going to want more. And like I said, the owners got it. Their franchises are worth $5 billion, and because of streaming and gambling, they're expected to double over the next five years. So, you know, get it if you can. And uh, I think, you know, it's tough. I think Lamar Jackson's kind of quarterback. If they don't get it done, then he's going to shut it down and gamble on himself, but he's not going anywhere. They can franchise him. So if he's offered $200 million guaranteed, why not take it? Why do you have to have the most when you can be set for life and your kids set for life and their kids set for life? John, uh, tying in the running backs discussion that we had with Saquon Barkley and tying in Carolina. So we've got Baker Mayfield playing on a one-year contract here. He's looking for more. Same for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is on a worse team top to bottom than what Baker Mayfield's going into. Although Daniel Jones should have a better grasp on that system because he's been there the entire offseason compared to Baker. Who means more? I think you know, I know your answer. Who means more to their quarterback at the running back spot? Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley? I think that neither team is going to be very good since both the running backs have been injured, but because Mayfield is the one getting most of the attention outside New York, I would say he needs Christian McCaffrey more than Daniel Jones needs Saquon Barkley. Is this Ezekiel Elliott's last season in Dallas? He needs to, he needs to pick it up. When you watch Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard carry the ball, this has been going on a couple of years because the Texans play him every year in preseason. Pollard's quicker. He makes quicker cuts. And maybe Zeke Elliott, who has a humongous contract, uh, he'll bounce back, be really good, but he's not going to get another contract for more money. But uh, the Cowboys, if they don't play Tony Pollard more than they have, their running game is not going to be as, as consistently effective as Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy want it to be. You know, Elliott's contract and his ego cannot get in the way. You see, uh, I know you saw it, John, uh, Chad, Jerry Jones's um, comments on Antonio Brown. Yes. So Antonio Brown said that the Cowboys need to give him a call, and Jerry Jones replied, we're good. 
Like, and he went on to say, we want to give these young guys a chance. But starting that by just, we're good. I mean, that shuts down any opportunity there. And I don't know why Brown continues to chirp like he's going to end up back on an active roster. Because he needs the ego massage every time he says something or puts something on social media, people react to it. And I think he needs that. I think that was a big part of his career. He needed the attention because he did so many things to create attention. And I'm happy Jerry Jones didn't bite because they don't need that head case. Well, John, he, uh, Antonio Brown or Deshaun Watson proves that sometimes, you know, an ego massage is better than an actual massage. So at least Antonio Brown has that going for him. Those are the only type you know of massages he's trying to get. There's a convention, I think it's this week, going on in downtown Cleveland for the National Massage Association. It's it's amazing to Where me. Where is Watson? <laughs> with all of this, John, that when asked about, he's not owning up to anything. He continues to deny any wrongdoing. And then the response from the league, well, he's going to come to the realization that what he was doing was wrong in this counseling that he's undergoing. And I'm thinking, what is the point other than saving face if you're the league just saying, well, he's got to go to mandated counseling. But if someone feels they haven't done anything wrong, what's the point of the counseling? It's, it's, a, it's an what? odd arrangement between the two. He never assaulted anybody, and he never disrespected anybody, even though Sue L. Robinson said he was guilty of uh, nonviolent assault and his behavior was egregious, and he went in thinking about sex, not a massage, but he says he doesn't do anything. At some point, his people who have enabled him are going to say, Deshaun, you have to tell the counselor, you know what? I've seen the light. You're right. But the fact is, he's not real smooth when it comes to talking uh, off schedule. Like one of the biggest ridiculous things is they had to, he had a statement through the Browns um, with all the right things. He didn't write it. He didn't approve it. PR people wrote it. And then when he was asked, he couldn't even remember what they said. So that's when he said he's, you know, stand on my innocence. That's when he got killed again. But by the time he comes back, it will be ingrained in him. Yes, you're sorry for everybody you hurt. John, leave us with this. Give us the, what was the temperature like, the reaction like in Houston on radio there whenever it was announced that he was returning after an 11-week suspension, has a bye week then, and then will be on the road in Houston. The league just so happens to uh, to settle on week 11 or, or, or game 11 as the time when he can return to the active roster and actually play in the regular season. It just so happens to be against the Houston Texans, which they scheduled in December. Nobody projected a, a schedule of an odd number of games. I never saw that anywhere. And I think they did it to further punish him, put him in a situation where from a competitive standpoint, he would want to be because the Texans are not good, but there's going to be so much booing. There'll be women's groups protesting outside. It'll be a circus. There could be obscene chants. I think he's going to get that every game. And um, he was asked about it by the Cleveland media, and he said that's too far ahead for me to be thinking about, but I'll guarantee you. There's a reason behind it, and the reason is to put him in what should be an uncomfortable situation, even though nobody will ever admit that. People here are glad. I'm glad he didn't get a 12-game suspension because imagine the buzz. What the big deal is here is for Texans fans not to sell their tickets to Brown fans who will pay a lot of money to see Watson's debut with Cleveland. John McClain, 
You can follow him on social media at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John, thank you as always. We will catch up with you next week. And next week, we can finally say the preseason is behind us. And next week, Jonathan and Chad, like I will be telling you guys about a new venture I'm doing, in which I'm going to be writing a whole lot of columns about the Texans, the AFC South, college football, and I look forward to being able to tell you guys. Can't, Thank can't you very much. John, I'm excited Thank about you, that. John. I thought you were about to break the news. You're going to talk about your old band when you came back next I week. Tried to get, I tried to get this new venture to use the band name blank.com. <laughs> I think it's taken. A, uh, yeah. It's probably also highly profitable. <laughs> That's yeah. probably a profitable website as well. Oh. I just wish I'd gotten the domain name back then. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. There's John McClain. Uh, again, follow we, him on social media. If we could, we've got connections here in Nashville. If we could secure the Ryman for the venue, could could we get John's band back no, together if I, they had a Ryman show? I don't think the Ryman would host. I think Cobra would host it though. We could get. We definitely have connections at Cobra if we could make that happen. They they would need. But a what venue. level of it would take a venue, venue like that? We could not disgrace a former church like Ryman Auditorium. Basement East would that be another <laughs> spot for the band? I'm trying to think. Third Man Records. Would they be willing to host John's old band, that the name that we'll never reveal? I don't know. It's uh, it it, de- it definitely uh, takes it down a notch. For for those that are new to the show, John McClain was in a band in the seventies in high school. In high school, right out of high school, maybe right out of college, a little bit too. And the name of the band is shocking, and we've was, never publicly stated it. Yeah. So we it's can't. A, we can't. It's a running joke about us revealing the band name. Coming up. Our spotlight on the SEC continues on Outkick 360 with Ole Miss and the Lane Train. We discuss what we expect to see from the Rebs. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Let's head to Oxford, shall we, Chad? Outkick 360 rolls on. I never pass up an opportunity to go oh, to Oxford, no. Mississippi. It's a lovely village. Well, especially whenever they're in the midst of a 10-win season, which they were last year. For the first time in program history, Ole Miss won 10 games, went on to play in the Sugar Bowl. Matt Corral plays, gets hurt. And the big question going into 2022 now is, now that Corral is, well, he's on IR now, but he's in Carolina. Now that he is no longer on this team, how do they replace him with Jackson Dark? They, Dark, they, they lost Jeff Levy. They lost DJ Durkin as their OC and their co-defensive coordinator. But look at the offense. Ole Miss ranked fourth nationally with 507 yards per game. They were third in the SEC with 36 points per game. And to win, they've got to stay above 30 points. Keep in mind, Mississippi State finished eighth in scoring Last year, with Mike Leach's offense and with that quarterback, they scored 29 points per game. That was good for eighth. So how do they keep their head above water? And the watermark to me is 30 points per game with Jackson Dark, knowing that Matt Corral is not there. Um, Top four rushers, their top three receivers are gone. Charlie Weiss Jr. is now the offensive coordinator. Maurice Crum, 
joins from Western Kentucky to help run the defense with Chris Partridge. Kiffin went all in in the transfer portal and it delivered some quality and quantity in that area. But it's all got to come together in a relatively short amount of time, including at quarterback. Curious how big the departure of Jeff Levy to Oklahoma is going to be for this team. That, that's one to watch. DJ Durkin's another one who was great with Ole Miss's defense. They were terrible two years ago. They were very respectable a year ago. Yeah, they got were a lot okay. better they on, on defense. Yeah, yeah they, they got a lot punts. better. Um, so how big is that loss uh, with DJ Durkin going to A&M, Jeff Levy going to Oklahoma? Ole Miss loses their top four rushers from a year ago, but they bring in Jackson Dart, who's going to be a rushing threat, much like Matt Corral. They bring in Zach Evans from TCU, Ulysses Bentley the fourth from SMU, two of the best running backs in the portal. Yep. Top three receivers are gone. This is where I don't think they really replenished the same way. Jonathan Mingo, nice player, not a number one. Jordan Watkins was the former second leading receiver at Louisville, who's a transfer. That's a spot to watch offensively. Defensively, I think they're going to be even better. From a talent perspective, J.J. Pegues coming in from Auburn is a big get. They've added some other transfers on defense. I think they're going to be fine defensively. Hutton, this team is every bit as talented as last year's 10-win team. It's just this whole experiment of can you just completely turn over a roster, losing 11 starters, bringing in this amount of it's transfers a, it's a college basketball to play immediately. It's, it's, it's that. Um I'm reading the anonymous coaches review. Yeah, what are they saying at Athlon? Uh, at Athlon, and they say, um, you know, culture's a real thing. The yeah. coach says so. Does the culture carry over? You don't know. And it's also the coach took a shot at Lane Kiffin and said Jeff Lebby handled a lot of the stuff internally with that program when Lane wasn't around. Dot dot dot. That he picked, he filled in a lot of the blanks, not just offensively, but a lot of things with the entire program. That Lane Kiffin wasn't. Now, again, that could be a rival coach that doesn't like Lane Kiffin for something on a recruiting trail, saying something that may not necessarily be true. But it made me think about the loss of Jeff Levy. But Ole Miss, if Jackson Dart is anywhere close to Matt Corral, which he has the talent to be that, they are going to run like a well-tuned engine once again, just like last season. I think it all comes down to quarterback. So... I don't think they surpass any type anywhere close to the numbers that we saw a year ago offensively. I, I think they average more than 30 a game, though, without getting anywhere near the Matt Corral status. And here's why. They, I think a lot of people are looking at what they've lost and how they're replacing them and, and not really looking at the schedule. Like, I want to predict Ole Miss to not be as good. Their schedule is perfect. Here are their first seven games. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa are their first four. Four and zero. Kentucky, Vandy, Auburn are the next three. All but two of those games are in Oxford. All right, that's Kentucky's a great start. a toss up. But here's the other key: they face a number of opponents coming off tough weeks. They face Bama after Bama went to Baton Rouge to take on LSU. They 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 take on Alabama the week later. I know it may not matter, but they're an example. They face Auburn after Auburn goes to Georgia. That's Auburn's first road game of the season at Georgia. They then get Ole Miss. They will play LSU after LSU is in Gainesville against the Gators. And they take on AM after AM visits South Carolina. So those are all 
teams coming off tough road conference opponent matchups and they get Ole Miss where I think towards the back end of the season, that's where they should really, you want to talk about team chemistry, that's where that should actually come together is around the end of October, early November. But the schedule sets up for them to really work through some issues and still have a very respectable record while we look up and go, what's, what's Lane Kiffin up to in Ole, at Ole Miss in Oxford this year? I don't know if they get to 10 wins, but the first seven games sets them up on that course. Uh, to get to 10 wins, they have to go to Knoxville, for instance, last year and win a game they had no business winning because they have a quarterback in Joe Milton that comes in that doesn't know how to stop the clock, even though he's a veteran quarterback for, for coming off the bench for, uh, for the volunteers. He has no sense of clock management in that, in that matchup. Small examples there outside of the golf ball and the mustard. But the, the games like that are going to take place. They're going to, you know, when they play Bama, it's probably very similar to what we saw, unless they're going to miraculously convert on some fourth down attempts early in a game. And then the game doesn't get away from you by the halftime. But to get to 10, Ole Miss needed some things to bounce their way. They got that a year ago, and that's to their credit. So I don't know if they have the same type of bounces, Chad, but well, the schedule allows them to get to five and six wins within the first seven within the first seven games on their schedule, and that is a huge benefit to Kiffin this year. I don't think they're going to be an underdog in a game until their ninth game of the year, possibly. You mentioned those first seven. Kentucky's going to be a bit of a toss-up, but I'd say right. a field goal favorite at home in Oxford. Then they go to LSU, which is very winnable. Then they go to Texas A&M. But they got to buy a week after that. That's where the schedule gets really tough, but I think nine wins is very easily, not easily, but it's definitely in play for the Rebels this year. Is USC being honest about Brew McCoy no. transferring to Tennessee? We'll discuss that. Plus, odds are out for Rookie of the Year in the NFL. We'll give our take next.